Welcome to the FCC Podcast. Hear all the stories, worship, and teaching from Sunday service. Want to connect with us or learn more about FCC? Visit us at FCCETown.com. We're glad that you're with us. Our vision around here at First Christian is to lead people closer to Jesus. And part of what we have been doing uh, uh, during this series that's called I Never Said That is addressing that very thing, addressing leading people closer to Jesus because there are some things that um, people say Jesus said that Jesus didn't say. And there are some things that, that people believe the Bible says or they blame things on the Bible that are not in the Bible at all. And so we wanna take some time and, and clear that up along the way. And last week we, we looked at a comment, looked at a phrase um, that was one that you've probably heard multiple times before, and, and that phrase is, look, God is never going to give you more than you can handle. And some of us have believed that, and we've kind of looked at our life and scratched our head, but after last week, my hope is that you, if you were with us, kind of now understand that that's not what God said. It's not that you're never going to have more than, than you can handle in this life. It's that when life does give you more than you can handle, and when life turns into a mess, and life gets rough, and, and life gets to be too much, what God has promised to you and to me is that he's going to be with us and that he's going to help us and he's going to see, see us through those moments that are more than we can handle on our own. Okay, and so this week, our, our statement that we, we have for this week, um, I want to get to it through a little bit of participation from you. Okay, so to be fair, I don't have any beef jerky or gift cards that I'm going to be handing out during the participation for this one, but... Um, I'd just like for you to, to raise your hand if this is ever applied to you, okay? This one statement, this one idea, if you've ever, uh, if you think this right now or you have ever thought this in the past, I'd love for you to raise your hand and if you're at home watching us online, um, you can raise your hand there too and we've got cameras in your house to let us know if you've got your hand up. So, um, so here, here's, the, here's the statement for you just to, to, to think through. Have you ever thought this, or are you even still thinking this now? And, and it's okay, certainly, if you have. If you have had this thought, that if you had just a little bit more money than you have right now, life would be a lot easier, okay? If you just had a little bit more money than you have right now, life would be a lot easier. If, if you've had that thought, raise your hand, okay? That's a lot of people with their hands up. The rest of you are lying. That's good. Okay, so um, most Americans have had that thought, okay, would answer yes to that, that question, that if, if, if I had just a little bit more money, um, I know that my life would be just a little bit easier. But here's the rub for us, especially in the church. The rub is that there are people who have said um, that, the, that the Bible says something different. There are people who have said and are saying and will always say um, that, that the Bible says that money is the root of all evil, okay? So when you think to yourself, boy, if I had a little more money, this life would be a lot easier, and then you come to church, and you think in church what you hear is that money is the root of all evil, that, that there's kind of a clash there. But guess what? The Bible doesn't say that. It's not in there. Now, in the New Testament, um, there is a, a letter that we call a book that Paul wrote to his friend Timothy, now, Timothy and Paul had a, a, a deep relationship. We're going to talk about that here in just a moment. But uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, we come across the verse from which this statement was made, okay? 
But the verse doesn't say that money is the root of all evil. What the verse says is, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And that is a pretty big difference from saying that money itself is the root of all evil. And some of you have figured that out before. But money itself is not the evil part. Okay, the evil part is being infatuated with, being obsessed by, being addicted to, being in love with money itself. And, you know, before we kind of dig into this, this verse a, a lot deeper, looking just at that beginning part, how do you discern whether you are a lover of money or not, whether you are obsessed with money or not? Well, the Bible actually gives us some aid and some direction in that too. The wealthiest man in the world, talked about this very thing, talked about this quest and this love for money. And in Ecclesiastes chapter five, verse 10, he says this, whoever loves money never has enough. And whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. Now that's Solomon talking there. And Solomon is someone who um, had a great deal of money. He was considered the richest man in the world. He had all kinds of power and all kinds of authority. And, and Solomon was the one who said, look, um, I'm going to go on a quest in this life and I'm going to figure out what the purpose of life is and what the meaning of life is and what you can gain from this world. And he tried everything. And what he found at the end was that everything in the world and everything that the world has to offer is meaningless. And yet when the average person is asked, how much money do you need to be happy? How much money do you need to be satisfied? How much money do you need to feel secured? Almost every one of us, the typical answer is, no matter where our status is at the moment, just a little bit more. If I had just a little bit more, I think it would work out. Now, Paul wrote a lot of books, a lot of letters that we have in the New Testament. And Many of those letters he wrote to churches and he, he wrote to the congregations for them to, to read, to kind of be reminded about focusing in on Jesus or maybe to answer some questions that they had asked to, uh, of Paul. But, but he also wrote, not just to entire churches, he also wrote to individuals. And the individuals to whom Paul wrote were um, young preachers in churches. And Paul was writing to them to give them guidance and to give them direction and to kind of mentor them. And specifically, he wrote to Timothy and he wrote to Titus. These were two young preachers in churches. And so Paul's writing to Timothy um, to tell Timothy how to lead and how to guide a whole congregation of people. And so if you've got your Bible with you, we can learn from what Paul tells Timothy. If you've got your Bible or you've got a phone or a tablet that has a Bible app on it, I want you to open with me. We're going to kind of see where this all fits. Okay, first Timothy chapter 6 verse 10 is the place from which this, you know, misquote comes from, that money is the root of all evil. But we need to see how Paul got there in the first place. So if you've got your Bible with you, open to 1 Timothy chapter 6, and we're actually going to start a few verses back and then take a run at verse 10. And here's what verse 6 says. It says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, a few definitions to start with. First of all, godliness... Godliness does not mean perfection, okay? So being godly doesn't mean you're perfect. Godliness also, at the other end of the spectrum, doesn't mean being a prude. Godliness is 
participating in trying to be more like Jesus. Okay? Godliness is growing in your faith with Jesus. And every day that we try to look a little bit more like Jesus, we are participating in godliness. It's why we have a vision around here that we're here leading people closer to Jesus because we know that it's a process and, and we know that it's something that we improve on every day and every day that we pay attention to acting like Jesus and speaking like Jesus and being like Jesus, when we are doing that, we are participating in godliness. And when you mix godliness and the pursuit of godliness with contentment, Paul doesn't say that that's really good for you. He doesn't say that that's a good thing for you to do. What he says is if you put those two things together, it is great gain. And then he goes on. And he says, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. Okay, so here's one of those phrases that we have a phrase that comes right out of this verse. When you hear people say, hey, you can't take it with you, it comes right out of this verse. Okay, this is, this is actually in the Bible. And so you know that that's where that is. But then Paul begins to combine these two thoughts when he's talking about contentment and the fact that you can't take it with you he then goes on to the next verse and he says this but if we have food and clothing we will be content with that now in the time and space that Paul was writing Paul probably knew that he could write to Timothy and specifically to Timothy and say look Timothy if you have food and you have clothing that's enough for you you're going to be content in that. I know that about you. That's going to be enough. Now, if Paul were writing to you, he might need to increase that list, okay? Because here in America, saying that if you've got food and you've got clothing, you're going to be content, you'd like to say that, but as Americans, we don't really think this way, okay? So maybe the list for us would be, if you have food and you have clothing and you have a house and you have a car and you have a cell phone, you are going to be content, Okay? We might draw the line there. But it's not about where you draw the line. That's not the point of the verse. And we've got to pay attention to what the point of the verse is. What Paul is actually saying here is this. The richest of us are not those who have the most. The richest of us are those who need the least. Contentment matched up with godliness is great gain. The richest are not those who have the most, but those who need the least. And contentment plays a huge role in this. Our ability to be content or discontent says so much about where our love for money and our obsession with money is. And another way to think about it is that discontentment can make a rich person poor. And contentment can make a poor person rich. Now, Paul continues on with, with Timothy. And remember, this is, this is a mentor who's speaking to someone that he's training to lead other people. Okay, so Timothy is this young preacher, young pastor in a church, and, and, and Paul's kind of breathing life into him and guiding him along the way on how he should interact with and lead other people. And so we get to verse 9. And verse 9 of 1 Timothy chapter 6 says this, but people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. Now, we, we get this, right? We know these people. We know people who are just like this. We've been around folks who are like this. We've been around people who are in our family. We've been around people who are at work. We've been around people who are part of our friend group. 
that just seem to have this quest to focus in on and, and make a purpose in their life of just getting rich. That's all they're after. They just want to get rich, and they're going to try everything they can. And yeah, they've jumped into some get-rich-quick schemes that didn't work out for them, and you've seen them fall and fail. And then sometimes they even succeed, but even when they succeed, they, they tend to want more, and so they go after even more. And when they go after even more, then they, they fall and fail again, but now they fall and they fail even further and harder. And the cycle just continues. And maybe it's not that you know somebody like this, Maybe it's not that there's one of these people somewhere out there that's in your family, but when you read this or when you hear me read this, it, it kind of defines you. And, and if this is you, I don't want you to feel judged today. I don't want you to feel like we're trying to shame you today or that Paul's trying to shame you today. I don't want you to feel like you're being talked down to today, but I do want to tell you this. If, if this is you and, and you've kind of felt this cycle of destruction and ruin and destruction and ruin as you've been trying to chase after riches, I want you to start today to figure out how to get out of that lifestyle. Because if you continue in that lifestyle, you will feel nothing more than the cycle of ruin and destruction over and over and over again. Now, it's that verse right there that leads into the verse that we started with. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, where Paul says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Now, we need to make sure that we understand the detail of what this verse says and what it doesn't say. Okay, this is, this is a huge moment. That we got to make sure we get this verse right. Because what Paul is, is also saying and what he doesn't say is that money is not bad. Money is not evil. Making money is not bad. Earning money is not bad. Spending money is not bad. But loving money, being obsessed with money, is more dangerous than you can possibly wrap your mind around. But see, because we have misquoted this verse so often, the opposite has happened in the church to people who have money. Because this has been misquoted so many times and, and we tend to believe that money is the root of all evil, that there are people who, who have been blessed by God with the gift of making money. Okay? They make wise decisions. They make the right decision at every term. They, they gather around themselves great people that help them make even more money. They're great leaders and, and they prove that over and over again. And, and sometimes it's that, yeah, they get lucky on some things and, and, and they just have this ability to make money. You know people like that. And then there's other people in the world who, who are rich because they were blessed by God to be born into a family that had money. 
And it's not that they're spoiled and it's not that they've lived spoiled lives, but they do have money. And I have seen those people, especially in the church, get to a place in their life where they seem almost embarrassed that they have money. Or, or, or they feel like they somehow have to apologize for the blessing that God has given them in their life. And I'm convinced that that's happened because we have decided to believe that money is the root of all evil and therefore it's wrong for us to even talk about money and bring up money and and be happy for the people who have been blessed in that way. I think, think about the other blessings that God has given us in our lives, okay? God pours out blessings of all different kinds to all different ones of us, okay? If, If somebody were to say to me, hey, I, I just, I wanna tell you, man, you and Stacia have such a great marriage and I don't know what your secret is, but man, it is, it is awesome. The, the marriage that you guys have and the length you've been married, how you seem to really get along with each other. I would not respond to that by saying, eh, it's not as good as you think. You only see this bright and shiny times and there's plenty of the other. I would never say that. She would never let me say that. I'm kidding. My response to that, and people have said things like that, is uh, I just simply say thank you because it is a blessing in my life. If somebody were to come up to me and say, man, your kids are awesome. I just was with them. They're just awesome kids, and I just want you to know, I don't know what you did. I don't know what the secret sauce is, but you've got awesome kids. My response to them would not be, we're not big fans. It wouldn't be. I love my kids. I'm proud of my kids. You have a right to say my kids are awesome because I love them. And what I do say when people say that is I, I do kind of chuckle it off a little bit and just say, you know, I, I, um, I kind of like them too. Now, if we would never insult or downplay a blessing like that that God has put into our lives that somebody has noticed, then why is it okay for us to downplay and insult a blessing like money that God has placed into our lives? Don't apologize for what God has blessed you with. Because remember this, the, the, the sin is not in having it, the sin is in loving it. The sin is not in using it, the sin is in misusing it. Now, I realize that today is, is a really, it's a gorgeous day today, okay? And yesterday was a gorgeous day too. But we remember the earlier parts of last week, right? Okay, the surface of the sun that we were on, okay? It was hot. And if you haven't looked forward, I don't want to ruin this for you, okay? This is kind of a, kind of a spoiler alert situation, but starting tomorrow, um, it's in the 90s every single day of the week and next week too. Love it. Okay, so the heat is coming. So it feels like we are a long way away from kind of my favorite time of the year. Okay, I'm, I'm looking forward to what now seems like a long way off, especially during those really just sweltering heat days. But when we get to October, you know, and it's like 60 and it's 40 at night. And, and I love in those evenings going out into the backyard and, and getting a fire going in the fire pit. And you feel the cool air outside, but yet you have the warmth of the fire right in front of you. And, and I, I love just watching the, 
the, the fire burn and watching the, the logs burn and the embers float up into the sky. It's relaxing to just be in that moment. But if in that moment I decide to take my bare hand and reach into the fire and start rumbling around in there and kind of moving the logs around and kind of messing things up and just seeing what I can configure with, with my bare hands and the heat and the fire and the third degree burns that I'm dealing with, I have suddenly taken this very relaxing situation and made it dangerous. Okay? Same fire, same scene, same temperature, same moment. Everything's the same, it's just the way that I use the fire is different. Same is true with your money. When you use it poorly, that's when it turns into sin. And so a little later on, hanging on to that thought, Paul speaks up um, a little further down the page, if you've got your Bible open or your, your tablet or your phone, and you can kind of scroll down to verse 17. And this is what Paul says. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Now, you may have the same thought that I used to have about this verse. For a long, long time, I looked at this verse and I came across this verse and I immediately decided that this verse was not for me. Because see, this is Paul instructing Timothy on how to deal with rich people in the church. And so when I hear that, I think that this is Paul instructing Timothy on how to deal with the Rockefellers who are in his church, okay? How to deal with the Gateses and the Trumps that are in his church. And so just people who have way more money than they know what to do with and certainly beyond what I have, that's who he's talking to. But I've had a change of heart on that. And it's not because I suddenly make more money or that I have a, a different financial status than I've ever been in before, but I just understand this verse a little differently when I step outside of my little world of America or I step outside of my little world of Elizabethtown and I stretch across the world and I see that that word rich changes. There's actually a, a website that you can go to that has a rich calculator on it. And all you have to do is you, you, you plug in your yearly income and how many people live in your house and it calculates um, what your percentile is of wealth in the world, okay? And so I, I went to that, and you can do it on your own if you want to sometime, but it, the, the website's called How Rich Am I, okay? It's that simple. And so you, you can plug in all these numbers. Well, I took some time this week and I plugged in numbers that ranged all over the place um, on, on income, uh, highs and lows, and on number of people living in the house, highs and lows. And when I put all the numbers in and I looked at all the numbers that, that, that shot back and the percentages that came back, what I came to realize is that I'm pretty sure that every one of us who are sitting in this room and even everybody who's watching online right now is in the top 10% of wealth in the whole world. Top 10% right here. And I know that seems crazy because of the, the country that we live in and the, the, the way that we look at society, but this is kind of how rich am I according to the whole world. And if you need a, a, a tangible to go along with that, think about this, that if you, um, if you own a car, okay, and, the, and that's a, 
that's a vague term, okay? If you have a car, you may not own it because the bank may own a whole bunch of it, okay? But you have a car. If that's you, no matter what age you are, you are in the top 9% of wealth in the world. Top 9%. And if you went to certain parts of our world and you told them that you actually have a house that you put your car in, okay, and you call it a garage, and that there are some of us in this room who have gone to great lengths to make sure that that house that we have for our car is heated and air-conditioned just for our car. If you explain that to some people in our world, they would just look at you with a blank stare. I don't say any of that to shame any of us. And I don't say any of that to force any of us to somehow make an apology for what we have. I just want to be clear that this verse is about you, and it's about me. And the point of the verse is not to make us feel guilty for being rich. The point of the verse is right down here. Command those who are rich, which we just determined is you and me, to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Because you see, in our world, our world has tried to convince us that money promises what only God can provide. Our world has tried to convince us that money will give you happiness, that money promises security, that money promises satisfaction, that money promises that you will be significant. Well, the, the same rich guy from before who went on a quest to figure out the purpose of life and found out that everything was meaningless, and the guy who said, look, if you, if you want to know what it means to love money, it means always wanting a little bit more. That same guy wrote in Proverbs 23.5, in the blink of an eye, wealth disappears, for it will sprout wings and fly away like an eagle. And this is what we're going to put our hope in? The stuff that in the blink of an eye can sprout wings and fly away like an eagle? Do you realize how significant that statement is? Every piece of currency that we have, whether paper or coin, the U.S. government understands this statement because on everything that we have, no matter what the denomination, there's an eagle on there to remind you that it could just fly out of your hand at any moment in the blink of an eye. This is not where our security lies. Money will not meet your deepest needs. Jesus will meet your deepest needs. A couple more verses and we're done. First Timothy chapter six, verses 18 and 19 say this. Command them, that's the rich people, which turns out is you and me. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. When it comes to this love of money thing, when it comes to this obsession and this addiction that we have to money, the antidote for that is not more money the antidote to the love of money is generosity. Is being willing to give it away. 
Now, I speak with a little bit of experience in this because I have been through a portion of my life when I wanted to be rich and I wanted to be more rich and I wanted to be more rich and I wanted to be more rich and I wanted to figure out how I could be more rich and what it was going to take to have more. And suddenly, somewhere along the way, I learned the value not of the dollar, but of generosity and the value of giving away. And when I learned the value of generosity, everything changed. And I know that it sounds crazy in our current culture and in the midst of capitalism to say that, man, what's more important than gaining a little bit more is giving a little bit more away. And and not only does it sound crazy, I am told over and over again that it's crazy. Every year when I do my taxes, my tax software gives me a warning because it's not happy with how much money I gave away. Because according to my tax software, it's a, it's a bad number, it's too much, and it, it's not uh, finding the most efficient way to use the money that I have. And it says I'm crazy. But I firmly believe that crazy is everyone else who rationalizes that they can't be more generous and that they can't give any more away. Crazy is coming to the conclusion that there is just no possibility that you could possibly live on 90% of what you make. Even when God that you believe in has told you that that's a command that he's given you and not only is it a command, but he will help you along the way in those moments when you think it's too much. There are some of us who are here this morning and who are watching online who have never given to First Christian Church or never even thought about giving to First Christian Church. And we come and we participate and we're involved in things and we, we do all kinds of different things in the church, but we've just never really thought about or, or taken the time to give. And the reasons that I hear most often are, I just, I just can't live um, without uh, everything that I make. I just can't live without any of what I already have. And so you've got a stranglehold on that money and you're not going to let go. And if that's you, um, I know that your ears may be a little red right now and you're getting a little frustrated that I even said that, but I need you to understand this. I'm not judging you and I'm not trying to shame you. And you need to know this too. I don't even know who you are. Okay? I don't know a name and a number that go together. But what I do know, and what I will tell you, is that what you're struggling with is not the stranglehold that you have on your money, it is the stranglehold that your money has on you. Because it's possible that you have become a lover of money and one who is obsessed with money and addicted to money. Again, money is not bad. Money is not the root of all evil. But the love of money and the obsession of money and the stranglehold on money is the root of all kinds of evil that can happen in our life. And the antidote to us participating and the antidote to the love of money that we have and the antidote to the stranglehold that 
we think we have on money that money actually has on us is not just a little bit more money. Is not just, hey, I would give and I would do a little bit if I had a little bit more. Nope. That's not the antidote. The antidote to the stranglehold is generosity. The antidote to the love of money that can lead to ruin and destruction is generosity that comes from a heart that is proud of the blessing that God has given to you. The antidote to the love of money is your heart of generosity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we, uh, we thank you for the words of Paul and his instruction to Timothy as he it's kind of leading Timothy in, in a conversation from 2,000 years ago and how important and directed that same conversation is in our lives today. And so, God, we, um, we ask that you would work on us. Would you remind us that we are um, the rich that you're speaking to? And would you remind us in those moments when we think that what we really need is just a little bit more that perhaps what is most important is to recognize that maybe money has started to have a stranglehold on us and that we have put money in front of you. And that when we allow you to lead our life, you help us and you guide us along the way. And your promises are true and they have been true every step of the way. God, would you help us to be generous? Would you help us to give? Would you help us to find that kind of antidote versus what the world has been telling us that is actually a misquote of your truth. That money is not bad and money is not evil, but our obsession with it and our stranglehold on it and our addiction to it is where all kinds of evil can happen. God, would you help us to lean into our relationship with Jesus and allow him to guide us and direct us along the way. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask that you would stand with me this morning. And uh, with two services, sometimes we, we don't get to see or hear some of the things that happened in the other service. Last service, we had um, a gentleman come forward to say, hey, I want this to be my church home. We had another couple that came forward to put their membership in as well. And uh, Sean said, hey, I, I, I need to be baptized. And so we're setting that up for this week for him to be baptized as well as they join, join us here at First Christian Church. And to me, that is worth celebrating to see what God is doing in those lives. And if you're here this morning, and that's a decision that you need to make, to say yes to Jesus and let him lead your life, to let him forgive the sin that's in your life, and he promises he will, and it is, his grace is sufficient for anyone if that's a decision you need to make this morning, we invite you to come. Or maybe you're here and you've already made that decision, but you want to be a part of, of this family here at First Christian Church. We invite you to come and to, to, to make that decision as well. We have folks who will be here to talk with you, pray with you about those decisions, answer questions that you have. If you have a decision to make this morning, we invite you to come while we're singing here in just a moment. For, for the rest of us, we have an opportunity 
an opportunity that because of the blessings that God has poured out on us, maybe it's our family, maybe it's our marriage, maybe it is money, maybe it, it, it's the family that you grew up in, but God has blessed you in some way and we have an opportunity just to praise him and thank him for that. And may we lift our voices in worship and praise to him this morning as we sing together.